Welcome to Shopcasts, a weekly podcast where we answer questions about some of the most important values of the growing prayer movement in Canada. My name is Emily, and joining me today is Brian Creary, Director of Sanctuary House of Prayer in Winnipeg, and also my dad. Good morning, Dad. Hi, Emily. So, why are we actually doing this podcast? Well, the idea came that we thought it would be a good idea to to talk about some of the values of the movement. We're in a prayer movement that's taking off right now in the earth, and it's in Canada too, and so uh, values matter. The way that you conduct yourself in prayer is going to be upheld and driven by the values. And so it's time to talk about some values. So we thought, let's do it. Let's do a series. Great. Well, today I want to ask you about a phrase that we use quite often in our house of prayer, and that's the audience of one. Can you explain what it means? And even the term, the priesthood, how do they connect? Audience of one is uh, one of those critical and central values to the prayer movement. If you don't understand this one, you're going to have a really hard time maintaining uh, worship and prayer for a long period of time. And the Lord taught us this lesson in the early days of our prayer room, way back 13 years ago. We had a uh, small prayer meeting going during the day, and as the day got later, people began to go home to get ready for work the next day. And and one of our guys said, let's keep the day going. Let's put a set later into the evening it sounded like a good idea. We're going to do a late prayer meeting. But the problem was that everybody left and we would find ourselves in the prayer room by ourselves. There was a worship team. There was nobody else in the room. And we would just turn off all the lights except for the stage lights. And we would choose to sing and to worship pray because it was the right thing to do. But it was really hard to come to terms with the fact that there was nobody there. There was no crowd that was singing along with us. There was nobody that was praying on the microphone. It was just the worship team. And the Lord was trying to emphasize something. He was showing us, uh, there's an audience that matters. I'm really paying attention, but you have to know that you're doing it for me and you're not doing it for everyone else. What came out of that after about six months of that was this great depth of desire for being before him, that we didn't care so much whether or not there were people watching other than him. We just wanted to be before him. And the Lord taught us that. He gave us that experience. The value that came out of it was this understanding that there is one audience that matters, that there's one that's paying attention and that he's the center of all of it. And it's not an easy thing to to grasp when you first start out because we're so used to doing things for other people. I mean, I've been in so many churches where the worship leader is focused on trying to lead the people. Let's sing the next verse. Uh, Raise your hands, uh, do this, do that. Uh, not that any of it is bad. It's it's part of the corporate experience, but it causes people to be driven to focus on on leading the people and on the, the activity of the corporate gathering together. And and there's only one audience that really matters. It's the one who is in, in heaven who is watching us. So if God is the center of everything, then how do we change our viewpoint or our focus to shift towards him in a generation that's so focused on me and us. Like, how do we change it from leading the people and being focused about the people and about ourselves and how it's going for us and in the room, then how do we switch it to him and what he thinks about us? And you that's exactly the issue right now, isn't it? This generation is being raised to think mostly about ourselves. And it's, it's not new in humanity, but boy, it's sure the thing that's happening right now. I think the issue is that we need to have a clearer vision, a clearer view of what he's actually like. 
I, I think the breakdown is that our understanding of what he's like and what we see in him is so low that we respond to something that's really just not very um, powerful and ultimately not true. And so our, our activities, our, our choices, they get affected by what we see and what we understand. It's like, for instance, the, the Bible's pretty clear that uh, God created all of us. We all know that in some capacity, but it says he creates us and he created us and then he holds us and he sustains us by the power of his word. And so right now there's someone who sits on his throne in heaven and he's holding us in place. We're living because he's letting us live. We're breathing because he's letting us breathe. He's determining our days. He's, he's having impact on the way that we, we walk out our lives. He, he is doing that for all the people on the earth all of the time. He, he is so significantly more powerful and more uh, gracious, filled with kindness and love than any of us understand, but our view is low. And so, you know, you and I, we understand that we have a capacity to love. I can express love to you, Emily, as my daughter, and you can feel that at some level, but then I can have a bad moment or a bad day and it doesn't feel quite so loving. And then, uh, and then at other times, uh, we can see different characteristics or, or attributes that emerge that, that are kind of true of us, but God does them all, all at the same time. And he does them perfectly and he does them endlessly. Where we have a certain amount of love, God has an endless amount of love. That, when that strikes your heart, when you think, how, how is it that you're able to do that? That you, you exert power over the earth and it's, it never ends. The power that it took to speak the world into existence is still present and active and it's involved in my life and it, it never ends. It's never depleted. It's mixed perfectly with love and with kindness. He is just so much greater and more amazing than we understand and our view of him is too low. And so what ends up happening is that worship becomes a response to what it is that we see. You can't worship somebody that you haven't seen or seen properly. And so worship really is a response. We Sometimes we treat it like it's a task or it's like a portion of a service, but you go in the prayer room on one of our sets, you sit before the Lord, you close your eyes, and if you have no understanding of what God is like, if Jesus doesn't mean anything to you, if he's some kind of mythical character from another time or a historical figure that's been dead forever and he, he's not real in your life, your worship will be uh, low. It will be powerless. So you won't feel like you want to. You won't give yourself to it. I'm sure you've had that type of experience yourself. Oh, yeah. Have you grown in the, the knowledge of God and, and realized that your own worship experience has increased? Yeah, definitely. And even like specifically when I realize like the power of the cross and that Jesus actually like desires me. And then that completely changed my viewpoint on worship where I was like, this is not just me sitting in a room and he's here for every single one of us, but not really focused on me. It was completely different when I could see that he died for me as well as everybody else. Yeah, that's right. See, and so it's gone from a story of a way to attain salvation into an actual encounter with a living person who's real to you and has an impact on your life. God in heaven came to the earth to die for you specifically, and you feel the power of that. And so now your worship begins to rise. And the only audience that matters the one that's that's central, the one that's the focus of everything is now coming into view. He's becoming clearer. He's becoming more real and worship is beginning to focus his direction. And so the self-focused kind of thing, the, the uh, you know, we're, we're only into our, ourselves and our own ideas, it begins to change when you see there's someone greater and more powerful. He's more significant. 
And that actually like got me thinking because on Sunday or I think it was Sunday about how Jesus desires us. Like that was like his desire, like father, I desire that like blew my mind for some reason, like that language I desire, you know, like he could have anything he wants, but it was like, I desire to have you, you know, Mm. I was like, Mm. and then I sang that on my Devo the next day. Or that so, night. So actually. why is that powerful? Because you feel the personal. Yeah. Because I have desires and things mm. that I want. And like most of the time, my desires are not what he wants. Mm. As bad as it sounds, but it's true being human. But the reason why that you feel the power of his desire is because you now know he's real. Mm. And you know who it is that desires you. And some of those things have grown up. Because anybody could say they desire you, but yeah. some people you don't want them to desire yeah. you. <laughs> so, you know, so we want to know that the one who desires us is also the great and awesome God who who came as Jesus in, in the flesh. And, mm-hmm. and all of those dynamics empower this idea. Mm-hmm. So now you're feeling, wow, it's not just that I'm desired, but I'm desired by you. This yeah. is incredible, right? Yeah. As an impact. So this all sounds great, but is it actually in the Bible? Like, is it factual? Can we turn to the page and actually see it for ourselves? Mm, how sassy. <laughs> uh, in Revelation 4, we see an incredible picture that I believe that the God provided for us and put in the scripture. Partly it's the storyline of Revelation, but really it's bigger than that. It's a picture of what's going on behind the veil in heaven itself. So a lot of people are nervous to read the book of Revelation because they feel like it's got too many end time references. It's a little too scary. Uh, heavy metal bands have taken it and used it for for their album covers and stuff. And so it just seems like it's inaccessible. But the truth is that the end times pieces are important and they're critical for those that generation that lives through it. But for all generations, for anybody that's alive, whole sections of Revelation are there for us to be encouraged and to be strengthened by. And what we see in Revelation 4 is John, the disciple that walked with uh, Jesus, one of the 12, is actually having a, a uh, an experience where he goes through what can only be described as a portal into heaven. A, a door opens in his first century hut, and he goes through the door, and he walks right into heaven. And when he's suddenly he's standing in what he recognizes to be the throne room of God. Now, he's a first century guy. He doesn't understand what he's looking at, so he just starts describing it. And we won't read the whole thing, but in, in Revelation 4, you see that he discovers that uh, before him is a throne. There's someone sitting on it. It's got color. It references jasper and ruby. There's a, a rainbow that encircles the throne. People wonder about the rainbow sometimes. They say, what's the point of the rainbow over the throne? Well, there's only one other big reference to a rainbow in the scripture. And in that case, the rainbow is a statement to the earth of God's mercy, of his promise that he'll never destroy the earth again with a flood. And if you think about it, the rainbow in the throne room is, it was placed there by the Lord probably to say the same thing. This is my mercy over, my, over the people that I've created. We see uh, um, his throne in the center, but we also see 24 other thrones. And we see people sitting on them, elders. We see them, they're dressed in white. They've got crowns of gold on their head. There's, there's thunder coming, uh, rumbling in the throne room. There's flashes of lightning and bright. There's, there's uh, lamps blazing. The uh, there's a floor that's made of glass. It's it's a sea of glass, clear as crystal, reflecting the whole thing. It's a, a dramatic scene of light and color and sound. And the center of it all is the God who sits on the throne. And then you get this most interesting description. I'm going to just read this. It says, 
In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so we see this dramatic storyline playing out where there's God and he's sitting on the throne in the center. And there's these four, what John describes as living creatures, because he doesn't know what to call them. And they, they're odd looking. They've got wings and eyes and they're right up next to the throne. And all they do day and night, they just encircle the throne and they declare over him. Now, the word holy is often understood in our day as, you know, sinless. You try to live a holy life. In other words, try to be a sinless person. But another word you could use is transcendent, where you, where God is separated from his creation. He is above and beyond and greater than in all ways. Kind of what I just talked about. The four living creatures gather around him, and as they gaze upon him, they declare over and over and over, you are holy, you are transcendent. You're not like us. You're great and powerful in every way. Now, it's quite a scene. And you, you might say to yourself, wow, that's kind of cool. And it never stops, interestingly. It goes on day and night and night and day. It's not like they, you know, they're working in a job somewhere and they have to punch in at 8 o'clock in the morning and say, oh, another day of holy, holy, holy. I hate this job. But that's what they were created to do. And he places them before him and, and sets them in place. What's interesting, though, what's so powerful is that when God created heaven, it was a blank canvas and he could put anything he wanted in heaven. And so by his choice, he said, I'm going to create a throne. I will sit on this throne. I will create heavenly beings, living creatures. I will put them around me and I will cause them to gaze upon me and the response of their hearts to what they see will go on day and night, night and day, never ending. This is what I want in my presence. Mm. He's the audience of one. He is the one who we focus our hearts on. And even in his own presence in heaven, he is ensuring that this takes place. These four living creatures, they stare at him. Their eyes are open. They can't help but say it because this is the glory and the awesomeness of the one that they stand before. Our problem was we can't see very well. And so we don't do it like that. But oh, if we could, mm. what would our worship services look like? Yeah, because it's like, a perfect springboard into worship and prayer. That, like, if you can picture it and see it for yourself, and that you're seeing that it never stops, it's more than just coming and bringing your your list of things that you want the Lord to give you. But just sitting before Him is so much more powerful, and it's like relationship rather than a task that you want Him to get done for you. Mm, that's exactly right. But it's, you've got to be able to see in order to be able to respond, right? So in this generation where we are not even really looking all that carefully, because mm -hmm. we're pretty focused on ourselves, the Lord says, there's an audience, it's me. I am the one audience that matters in your life. I'm the one audience that matters in all of created order. In my own presence, I have ensured that they can gaze upon me and respond to what they see. How much more so for the ones that he loves, he came to die for, as you already said. He puts his Holy Spirit within and he's waiting to call us to himself to live with him forever. That's a great answer. Next week, let's go deeper into this idea. And for those who are listening, you can find more information on this topic and much more at our website, sanctuaryhop.com. Also check out another shop production, The Burning Rooms Podcast, just about to release their second season. 
It's available everywhere you find podcasts. And I'm Emily, and on behalf of my dad and I, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.